Welcome to another podcast series of Bump, Birth and Beyond, hosted by me, Dr. Joseph Scroy, and proudly brought to you by Tiny Hearts Education. On today's episode, we're joined with Sigrid Peterson, who's sharing her incredible birth journey, and not only through the birth of baby George, but also uh, Charlie as well. Welcome, Sigrid. Thank you. So nice of you to come and share your journey. And I think it's always a little bit, um, well, I think it's quite cathartic in a way maybe for you guys, but also a wonderful opportunity to share your journey with other people so they can you know, find out that you know everyone's is unique, I suppose, and yeah. that um, you know we all have different experiences. But at the end of the result, get a baby out of it always. Yeah. Um, all right, so tell us a little bit about how many kids you got, first of all. I've got Charlie who just turned four and George just turned nine months wow. a day or so ago. So it did take yeah. you a little while to have another one. Yeah. Um, I work for myself. I'm a photographer. So I was enjoying work and I also wanted a bigger bigger gap just to prepare myself. Yeah, understandable. <laughs> All right. So um, well, tell us a little bit about becoming pregnant with George, who's the eldest one, yeah? Charlie. Oh, Charlie's the oldest. Same, same. <laughs> Different names. Uh, okay, so Charlie, who's four now, um, do you, had you guys been trying long in order to conceive with Charlie? Um, I had a miscarriage before Charlie um, six weeks before. Um, we fall pregnant very easy, fortunately, um, and I knew I wanted to be pregnant pretty much straight away, so I think the next cycle we fell pregnant with Charlie. I'm magnificent. Yeah, yeah. And I always like asking people, you know, how they or how, you know, how that first little bit of finding out that you were yeah. pregnant for the first time and then yeah. sort of what, what interaction you had with your partner um, in terms of telling him that you were pregnant? Yeah, so we were trying, so it wasn't a massive surprise. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, I, yeah, I, we actually told a few family, friends. Um, that you were trying. Oh, that we were pregnant, yeah. even though I was so, we were so early, um, which I don't regret, even though we had a miscarriage, it was just, it was, beautiful with all the support and, yeah. and love. So, I think um, that's actually a good point because yeah. a lot of people ask me when should we tell people we're pregnant yeah. and I often say to them that in actual fact you tell people that you know will support you through anything, yeah. whether it will be a miscarriage or, you know, if you make an unenviable decision to terminate a pregnancy. I'm also terrible at keeping secrets. So I think the second <laughs> time round we, we also told them pretty early pretty as well. I think my partner would have wanted to hold on a bit longer. But yeah. I'm a shocker. How, how did you tell him either with a miscarriage or when you conceived with Charlie that you were pregnant? Um, I think I just walked up to him and I had the stick, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think with George, though, I think it was maybe I sent him a photo and I was on the phone. I don't know. Second kid, it's everything's a little bit different, a bit more relaxed. <laughs> totally, a lot more <laughs> relaxed. Uh, were there any issues in this, in your first pregnancy then that were that sort of, you know, you were worried about the anxiety, obviously, of previously having a miscarriage. Yeah. I think I think the first 12 weeks you do go to the bathroom every time you go to the bathroom and you're worried that there'll be blood and everything's a bit more anxious and yeah. you kind of want the dating scan and you want to check there's a heartbeat and, um, yeah, you try to remain positive, um, but it also helps you prepare if something does happen again, I guess. So tell us a little bit about the miscarriage if you're happy to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many weeks were you when you were... I, th- I think I was only five or six so I shot a friend's wedding um and then I think middle of the night I had some bleeding yeah. so the next day I just kept it quiet and I said to my partner look I'm going to go to the, the hospital yeah. um obviously there's not much they can do they sent me to Box Hill they've got an early pregnancy clinic yes so that was I think there's a few blood tests that week and um, they did do a scan um there was a heartbeat but my levels were obviously going down yeah. so um it took like a week process um but I didn't have to have a DNC, so it just happened naturally, okay. which was yeah. I think I think it was awful, one of the worst weeks ever. But um, and you were supported by those people you told. Yeah, ex- exactly. And now that I've got my two boys, I don't think about it. And yeah. I think because it's so common, it is actually. I've I was pretty open and honest about it on my business page. Um, and I am um, so I've had lots of women ask me um, yeah. when they've had a miscarriage, like. How long after did they wait? And well, how long? Well, tell me about that then. So, how long in between finding well, having the miscarriage till then conceiving? Yeah, so I had the miscarriage um, about five or six weeks, and then six weeks later, I got my my period. Um, and for me, I was I was keen to fall pregnant again. So, um, and again, it happened. Pretty much the next month. <laughs> We're oh, literally good. one hit wonders. Were you given any advice from the early pregnancy clinic at Not- Box Hill about what you should or shouldn't do? 
No, they. I, I know that other people have been told to wait a few months. Yeah. Um, so in actual, um, in actual fact, there is a body of evidence. In fact, historically, mm-hmm. doctors always used to advise women to wait anywhere up to three to six months. Yeah, there was yeah. this theory that you know you had a miscarriage, your body needed to recuperate and yeah. you know realign itself, so to speak, before you you could become pregnant again. In actual fact, the most recent studies suggest that your chance of an ongoing pregnancy in the first three months after having a miscarriage is seventy percent greater. Yeah. So my advice now to women is pretty much what you did. Yeah. I, I, t- I tell women not even to wait until the next period. Yeah. If you stop bleeding after a miscarriage, and assuming that your doctor or whoever's caring for you in terms of your pregnancy says you're right to go, in particular, yeah. you know, you want to make sure there's nothing like an ectopic pregnancy yeah. or the like, then. As soon as you stop bleeding and before you even have the next period, you can start again. In actual fact, I've had many women who've had a DNC, if they've had yeah. to have a DNC or a miscarriage that they've passed on their own, who've then not had another period and got pregnant straight, straight away. away. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. For me, emotionally, I think it, I needed to. I know other women want to wait and just yeah. process all that, but yeah. yeah. Well, you were lucky you had people yeah. around you too. Yeah. Who was, who was the biggest level of support during that time for you? Probably my younger sister. She um, already had a baby. She, she fell pregnant at 23 um, and I've always been the clucky the clucky one. Um, and, yeah, she was the, probably the biggest support That's and bad. her little son, which is surprising. You'd probably think you wouldn't want to be around babies. But, yeah, um, yeah, he would, yeah they were great, great oh, support. Awesome. Yeah. All right, so the next time around, obviously, fortunately for you, can see pretty quickly. Yeah. Yep. And everything went smoothly in the first part of the pregnancy? Yeah, I, I'm lucky I don't, I don't get sick. I get a little bit nausea at night um, and a little bit tired and grumpy the first trimester, but I'm very fortunate and have great pregnancies. I actually oh, like good. being pregnant. Being pregnant. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Some women love being pregnant, some yeah. women hate being pregnant. Yeah, I try not to rub it rub it in because yeah. I had a, yeah, because then I had the bad first birth, so I'm trying to make it a yeah. bit more even for everyone. Yeah. Good, good birth. Um, Definitely. Good pregnancy. So the pregnancy, the first bit was great. You had the dating scan, I presume, around about six weeks, a level yeah. of anxiety there because of the miscarriage beforehand yeah. and obviously a little bit of elation because you saw the heartbeat, yeah? Yes, yeah. I actually can't remember too much. It was, I think four or so more years ago. <laughs> and we've had uh, another baby since. We've had another baby since. Um, but there was no issues. I think maybe you had a tiny little bit of bleeding, Um but yeah, we had another scan. It was it was all good. Um, Did you end up doing the screening for Down syndrome in that particular pregnancy to find out the um, gender of the baby as well? Or no? So with Charlie's, um, I think it was back when yeah they had to send the results off to America, America and yeah. it may have been a bit more expensive. And we just were happy to wait twenty weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah, and everything was all good. Excellent. And yeah, we did one of the gender gender barbecues and. Yeah, and Charlie, I mean, George just got his results. We had the 10-week scan or blood test with him and he's just got opened on the toilet. Of course. So. <laughs> <laughs> you knew that, all right? Yeah, right. It's always interesting. I, I think I've had three kids. Well, not me personally, but my wife yeah. has. And our yep. eldest is 14 and our youngest is one. So we've had oh, a big white, yeah. white age group. That gives me hope. I would like a third. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, that's why I always say. <laughs> I have a, and in fact, we've got a, an old, a old a daughter who's 14, a son who's 10, and then we've got a, a younger daughter who's just turned one. And I often say to people when they say, oh, we've got a boy and a girl now, that's it. I go, nah. Because <laughs> I thought, we thought the same. We honestly thought that was it. We're not going to yeah. have any more. We've got the pigeon pair. You know, our life was completely settled and then my wife was slowly starting to approach 40 and she went, no, I want to have another one. And I must admit, the third one's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's so good. I'm not, I'm not rushing, so I can wait a couple more years. Yeah, exactly. We had a bit of a break between the two. <laughs> Let Chris get over the baby stage because he loves the toddler stage. And yeah, yeah. Do it again. So um, obviously the pregnancy went well. The 20-week scan with Charlie was great. Yep. And were there any concerns that happened through? So where, where did you have Bubba in the public or private sector? Um, Box Hill, both babies. Both, both um, babies. So you were seeing a combination of midwives and doctors yeah. at that particular appointment? I was just seeing whoever um, the first time around. I didn't know about the midwife program. Yeah. Um, so with, with George, I did get into the midwife program, yep. which was brilliant. But, um, yeah, I had, towards the end of the pregnancy with Charlie, my blood pressure was a bit up and down. Um, right. I was working full-time um, and had a mid-desk job and then still doing photography on the side. So I think I was just maybe overdoing it. And, right. Um, 
Were they worried in, in particular then with the blood pressure? Like was I it think, sky high or was it coming down? I think after I was a few? 37 weeks and I think I was just sitting at my desk so actually not doing anything much. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel great so I went to the hospital and, yeah, the blood pressure was up. Um, but they didn't give me any medication. They were just going to monitor me. Yeah. Um, but then after when I had Charlie, they're like, were you on any medication? And, right, so it was high even during birth. Um. Yeah, I think. Well, they questioned it. Yeah, they just questioned it. They just asked me why I wasn't on medication. Yeah. That was your choice, their choice. Yes, often often in terms of blood pressure towards end of pregnancy, the thing that we get worried about is something called preeclampsia. Yeah. Yeah. And by by definition, that's when your blood pressure is more than 150 on 90. So the top number. And protein. And protein. Yes, you don't need to have protein necessarily, but blood pressure over 140 on 90 and then a range of different other features which may include protein. Surprisingly enough, it doesn't include swelling. A lot of women will say, oh, my my ankles are swollen, my hands Mm -hmm. are swollen, particularly if it's a summer, of course, in pregnancy, things do swell. But swelling is not a defining feature of preeclampsia. But certainly blood pressure plus a range of other things, which may include concerns with the kidney function, protein in the urine, liver problems, problems with the blood blood system, which includes lowering of your white cells that help clot blood. Sometimes women will get headaches and spots yeah. in the vision, visual yeah. disturbance. I think I had a, a few headaches, but it, it, it kind of relaxed itself a bit and obviously I went over overdue and I think yeah. I was at, yeah. Were they ever talking about bringing on labour because of the high blood pressure? It was more just, I think, because yeah, maybe the bit of the blood pressure but also because I was quite overdue. How um, many weeks were you when you had the baby? When you had I think Charlie? I was... 41 plus 6, I was, or I was 40 plus 6. I can't remember because there was, it was, I was due Christmas Day um, and their books were getting full for inductions. Of course. And, yeah, of course. Everyone and, wants to call their baby Natalie or Christian, something like that, yeah. <laughs> <gasps> um, yeah, well, they had the first and I should have at that point um, said, no, no, I'll wait till whenever your next date was free. But I I, sh- I was just too excited to meet my, my son. So my sister had been induced at that stage once and had a vaginal birth, so it gave me hope. Yeah. Um, so I said, yeah, let's Were you let's worried about in. an induction at that point? Because we've had a few women who we've been doing podcasts. Now, with it, now that I've been through one, I should have been, but I, I, I wasn't. I was confident and, and, and happy to yeah. go through the process. Um, yeah. uh, now I would, I would avoid it all costs <laughs> yeah. if, if I was healthy, which I, which I think at that stage I, I was, and I probably should have given myself those extra days just to go into natural labour. Yeah. Because um, I didn't don't didn't realise how much of a difference it can make the induction and we'll talk about that. I think yeah. I think second term second pregnancies and second labours are going to be a hell of a lot different than the first labours. Yeah. It's interesting, I actually just looked at my stats for January two thousand and nineteen through to December two thousand and nineteen. And I my practice is a little bit different because I have an older group demographic yeah. of women that come and see me, and a lot of them who do IVF as well, yeah. um, who then be on the basis of being older and possibly because it's IVF would induce. Yeah, yeah. Um, And a lot of women get scared about an induction in terms of how that will impact not only their pain tolerance in pregnancy but also the outcome. So, yeah. you know, will I need X, Y, and Z? In actual fact, I looked at the whole range of women who wanted a vaginal birth, who went into labour and the outcomes. My, my overall um, vaginal birth rate was 85% with a 15% caesarean section rate, Amazing. which most... Especially for private. Correct, <laughs> exactly right, which is exactly what most people think. In private, yeah. oh, you're definitely going to end up with yeah. a Caesar. But in actual fact, I think it's a lot to do with, you know, the demographic of the woman yeah. and also choosing the right people to have a vaginal birth as opposed yeah. to other women who may need to have a Caesar because of a range of variety of reasons, yeah. which may be maternal choice but might be because the baby's at risk as well. Yeah, yeah. I obviously wanted just a healthy baby. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's probably... Yeah, why I was just so, yeah, let's lock it in. All right, so um, tell us what happened. Obviously, the hospital says to you, it's Christmas time. Yeah, so they booked me in for the first and I, yeah. was, and I was due Christmas Day. Right. So so you're a week over, basically, yeah. at that point. We're 41 weeks. Yeah, so they... Um, Which is not unreasonable. Most people would say I, by 41, yeah, I think they were happy, but I think they had some dates after the third. Yeah. Um, but they did have a spot on the first. So yeah. really, I, yeah, I should have just given myself that time. But I didn't lock it in for the first because yeah. I was excited. Yeah. I wasn't even over it. 
I no, said, yeah. you were happy to be <laughs> I was pregnant. in the house having been pregnant. But you just wanted to see Bubba. I just wanted to meet him. Um, yeah, so they did the um, the tampon with the, so with the, the hormone. Yeah, so yeah, yep, on the on the Friday night. That next morning um, they broke my waters and put the drip on. Yep. Um, and I laboured just with a TENS machine um, until about 3 p.m. When so by, I, this is 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock in the morning they started? Or yeah, late? 7 or 8, I think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was pretty full on. Yeah. <laughs> so I think by 3 p.m. and they checked me and I was only about three centimetres and mm. that's probably when I lost my mind. Yeah. And it was turned into the exorcism. Yeah. <laughs> my sister had to count to me and talk me down. So I had my sister, my partner, and his mum as birth support. Um, That'd be great. Yeah, Chris. Chris's mum was more for Chris, and my sister was more for me because she'd been there Good and before, done yeah. that. So, um, yeah, I could have also had a birth photographer, but I thought that was just too much. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then I got the epidural. Um, the gas wasn't cutting at that stage. Um, didn't take long for them to get the anaesthetist to me, which was great because um, yeah. I was pretty hysterical. Yeah, of course. And then after the epidural, it was amazing. Um, and I think I had a little sleep. They checked me at nine. I was five. They were like a little bit concerned of how long I'd been going for. Sure. Um, but they gave me some more time. So then at 1 a.m. the Sunday morning, they checked me and I was nine centimetres and we literally clapped. We were pumped. I think he had the clip on his head and... I'm not sure if that, yeah, them touching his head or I don't know. He just, we just got in distress um, and we tried different sides, me rolling over, but then they just called a code green. So mm. um, it was a bit traumatic just just the whole being rushed down to theatre and how what have I eaten and it, can my partner come in and, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, all I could say was just save my placenta because I was having it encapsulated. That's all I could mutter out. Um, so just for people, code green is when a call is made to the hospital because obviously we're worried about the baby and the baby status, or the mother's status, mind you, and we think the baby needs to come out. I often tell the registrars at the public hospital I work at, the women's, that there's two things. It's very, obstetrics is very simple. Number one, is the baby happy? Is the baby not? And does the baby need to come out or is the baby not? doesn't need to come out? And if the baby does need to come out, which way does the baby need to come out, vaginally yeah. or via Caesar? So we get to nine centimetres. Yeah. They're put on a clip at that point. Yeah. Why'd they put a clip on? Did I don't know if the clip was already on or not. Right. Um, but I think he just... Something I think happened. Him, something happened. I'm, I'm not sure why I got distressed, but he did. They took me down to theatre. They were going to check if I had dilated, dilated further yeah. to do a forceps and a episiotomy, but um, I hadn't. I wasn't. Wasn't quite there yet, so they they just they got him out. Um, so they did a C. They did an emergency C section. Gotcha. Yeah, and he was he was happy. He was fine. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and then I just remember just um, being quite drowsy, and I'm trying to put him on my breast in the recovery, yeah. and yeah. and it was probably I think he was born at one twenty a.m. Um, yeah. By that stage, you've been really f- yeah, almost since, two days in the hospital. Yeah, it was pretty exhausting. Yeah. Um, my partner did lots of everything pretty much for George that night. Um, And then they, yeah, tried to get me up and about as soon as possible, which was, which was fine, which was great. Uh, They gave, they give you a couple of days in hospital with a C-section in a public. Um, But I actually went home and the car ride home was awful. Pain wise? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I had been asking for endone quite a bit at the hospital and not really realizing why. And then we got home. I pretty much had to close the blinds and just, I wasn't feeling great and I, I Googled, of course, and I realised that I probably had a spinal headache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I told my my maternal health nurse that, that and she's like, we'll go back straight to emergency. Of course. Um, which I did. They um, were giving me a blood patch um, yeah. but they couldn't tell me when they could do it. So I pretty much gave George um, Charlie a feed, half a feed, and then all of a sudden they said, well, we're taking you down. So I was going to be without Charlie for a couple of hours. Um and the doctor was like, oh, it's a 70% chance it's going to work and and if not, we do it again and then if that doesn't work, then we do it again in a couple of months. So that it kind of freaked me out a little bit. So just to, just to clarify, <laughs> yeah. particularly when an epidural is put in or a spinal anaesthetic, the anaesthetist, and I'm not an anaesthetist, so yeah. don't quote me on all the information I'm going to give you, but they will p- make a small little hole in the, um, in the fluid sac that surrounds yeah. the spinal cord. 
I'm sure they warned me, but I was too busy yeah. sucking back on that gas. Of course. <laughs> and so what anything. can end up happening is that when that needle is then subsequently removed, it leaves a little hole. Yeah. And that little hole continues then to allow a little bit of a fluid Air leak. Bubbles, yeah. yeah. And as a result, what ends up happening is you end up getting a headache. Yeah. And what as they soon ch- as I would stand up, Correct. they would hit me. Because you're dropping, you're dropping your pressures. Yeah. So you're dropping the pressures in the brain and it's like having a massive throbbing headache. And so what they'll try to do is patch that and seal that that area yeah. off so that that doesn't continue to happen um, and in the hope that obviously it works and then you, yeah. you don't have that symptom happening again. Yeah, I, they, I don't know what they quote the risk being, but that is that is a known risk associated with um, yeah. having an epidural or a Still don't regret the epidural. It was worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the time, so they took some blood from me and then they put it in my spine. They let me lay in recovery for an hour and then they wanted me to lay still for another hour, but I'd already been away from sure. Charlie. Charlie for, yeah, I'm doing that all the time. You're, you're making me confused. <laughs> Sometimes you mix the dog in there and it's all over the shop. Yeah, so I said, oh, look, can we just go back up? I'll promise to lay still for another yeah, hour. And yeah. um, Chris, my partner, was great. He, he played it down. He didn't tell me how bad it had been because yeah. um, Charlie was quite hungry. So... Can I just ask, I mean, it's very, yeah. I think one of the beauties of the private sector for those women yeah. who, number one, can afford it and want to go privately because it's not, yeah. not obviously some women will not want to go to privately, but one of the things that that I find rewarding for myself is that care and follow yeah. through. So I see a woman, she has a baby, for example, delivered a baby this morning at three yeah. in the morning and I'll go and see her this afternoon yeah. and we'll have a bit of a debrief. Did you feel that you had that opportunity to debrief at Box, Box, Box Hill? Well, after the C-section, um one of the doctors did come up um, the next day. Yeah, she just um, she said that your body did it. Your body got to nine, so next birth you are, you can have a V back. Yeah. Um, so I think from that that stage, I was like, all right, well, next birth I'll have a vaginal birth. That's yeah, that's yeah. fine um, because my body was was fine. It was just George that had become distressed. Yeah. So yeah, got the blood patch. Went back up to see Charlie, and um, he had torn my nipple to the shreds. Oh God! Because he'd been starving yeah um and then I think I stayed another night in hospital and then got to go home again for the second time yeah um and then the, did you feel a bit better now because you obviously had a bit of more pain relief you knew or obviously you'd been treated no I wasn't feeling great no. baby blues hit yeah um definitely some postnatal yeah um suicidal thoughts oh, it was God. pretty rough yeah. rough um start considering I I was had they screened that for you at the hospital not really, no. Not really? Did you know it at the time or did you just think? Uh, I thought maybe baby blues, but then they continued for the next few weeks. So I, yeah, I was pretty open and honest though when I went to the GP and I got a me- mental health plan and I saw a psychologist for yeah. a few sessions. Yeah. Um, I could have had three more, but I think just talking it through and it was probably six weeks at that stage, yeah. I was I was feeling better. Um, but I'm super open and honest and, and I didn't have that love and connection, but I told my sister that and she said she had the exact same thing with her son but she didn't tell anybody. So I yeah. kind of yelled at her and that's why I'm quite open and honest about all that sort of stuff. Well, well let's let's touch on that. So obviously you had a reasonably traumatic experience in yeah. terms of being all of a sudden everything's okay in the birthing yeah. suite. You've got this epidural, you whisked away yeah. to have a cesarean section separated from baby for a little yeah. bit and have this dual headache. When did you find that you sort of started to have those those thoughts and what was going on in your mind? I think I, I remember, I think I was just in my bed just crying. Um, I was 27. I wanted a baby my whole life. Yeah. Um, loved babies since I was a kid. So yeah. this is all I've ever, ever wanted and I just was not feeling right. So um, never wanted to hurt Charlie. It was more myself and what have I done and why did I do this and yeah. those kind of feelings, which um, was a bit of a shock considering, yeah, how much I wanted it. Of course. Um, and, and, and had you ever had any experiences in the past? No, I've never, I've never suffered from depression. Never ever, before? No. Nothing no. that triggered No, I'm not quite a positive how, person. How was your sleep patterns during that time? Yeah, so the psychologist did say a lot of it is to do with um, the shock to the system. So, yeah. yeah, you wake up to wee and you, well, you're pregnant and it's, your body's prepping yourself, but it's a massive shock. It's like torture, she said. Yeah. So that made me feel a bit better that it was the hormones and the lack of sleep and yeah. um, traumatic birth. And and also you had a bit of insight as well that you knew that you needed to see someone too. Yeah. Like you said, your sister yeah. didn't and probably regrets it now. Yeah. But in your case, you did. Tell us how you the reaction of the GP was when you saw the GP to discuss that. Uh, I saw a female GP. Um, yeah. I'm not one of those people that has a regular GP. Um, I just go to the same practice, but I always do ask for a female if I 
yeah. feel it's necessary. Yeah. Um, she was great. She just did a checklist. Um, I think it's quite common for the mental health plan. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, she gave me a referral for a local psychologist um, just down the road. So, yeah. yeah and great. so now we know that postpartum blues affects around about 80% yeah. of women, so it's not something that's... It's 80 yeah. yeah, it's um, quite high. Yeah. yeah. And a lot, it, it's interesting because a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, uh, I'll sail through it. But in actual yeah. fact, there'll be a period during the, the yeah. transition through motherhood that where women will feel a sense of, you know, just feeling down yeah. a little bit. And it may only be transient, but it'll affect nearly every woman. Yeah. How many women then go on to develop what you have, yeah. which is, you know, more in-depth sort of, oh, my God, you know, yeah. I potentially want to harm myself and, and all that sort of stuff. That's a smaller percentage of yeah. women. but. Just having run of the mills feeling a little yeah, bit down is quite high. Yeah. So, what sort of things? I mean, obviously, the psychologist did a good thing in sort of normalizing yeah. what was going on. What sort of techniques or anything did they sort of give you? What What were their suggestions? I can't remember to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was cognitive thinking. I think it was, I think yeah. it was something like Just that. Just positive thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, were you told to like you know give yourself an opportunity to to, to look after yourself? Yeah. To take naps whenever. Yeah. And, yeah, just ask for help and yeah, yeah, which which I can, which I've got great family support both sides. So You're quite like, I think you know the thing for me is I always talk about the fact that you know you need to have a happy mother to have a happy yeah. baby, and that whole bonding experience in terms of mother and baby is so dependent on your own health mentally as well yeah. as physically, so that you can bond with the child, um, and that if you need to take a break to look after yourself, in, even if it's going to mean separating yourself from the baby for a short time, that's actually going to be beneficial in the long term. So, yeah. So well, having a sleep. Probably extra pressure was as well that um, I changed jobs heavily pregnant with the promise of job share. Right. So I went um, to a more corporate um, admin job, kind of created a role, and yeah. the day of maternity leave they're like, well, we realise we need someone full-time. Right. And I knew I didn't want to come back full-time. <laughs> Yeah. So, so then there was pressure to make my business photography work. So I right. think I went back, like I think I shot a wedding three weeks post C-section, like crazy stuff, and yeah. I get yelled at all the time. Um, I don't regret it now because of what my business is, but probably it's not what I needed when I was feeling that way with a young sure. newborn. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so don't recommend it. Do take some time, time to yourself. yourself. Yeah. What, how long did it take you to get over those postpartum blues or even I think a couple depression, of months. really? Yeah. And just to, I think just as Charlie was growing, we were bonding, um, you know, can't get enough of him now. I'm obsessed yeah. with him. But um, Were you okay breastfeeding? Was that all okay? Yeah, I think. And caring um, for him? Because that's the things that we oh, get worried about. Breastfeeding's yeah. hard and like, we use nipple shields for the first three weeks. Yeah. And, um. We did mix feed a little bit. I was worried about my supply like most most new mums. Um, but I think I breastfed him for about seven months yep. um, but, and I was working through that seven months. So he was probably boo, bottle and express. He weaned himself. At seven months he realised that the bottle was quicker. He started yeah. to push me away. Yeah. I didn't realise I probably could have kept feeding him at night. I yeah. didn't know that was a thing. But um, for the, yeah, a lot of women do for the last little bit. They just feed, feed them yeah. night before they go to bed. Yeah, because he's half asleep. He will take whatever he wants. But yeah, exactly. Didn't know that at the time. Um, but I was proud that he it was his decision and it wasn't mine. So, In terms of your mother's group, obviously yeah. you were conscious of the fact that you'd have some postpartum depression. Yeah. Were there any other women in your group or circle that you knew that you felt comfortable you could share your story with at that time? Because this is before yeah. social media explosion as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm pretty open and honest. So I think I would have. Yeah, I would have been. Yeah. Were there other women experiencing similar sort of things? Do you think that um, maybe hadn't expressed it to their GP? Yeah, I was lucky that I had a few other close girlfriends that have have kid had kids already. So um, I don't think it. But I think they one had an emergency C-section, but her postnatal was fine. It was more she had anxiety with the second, but I had already been through that. Yeah. Charlie. So, no, no, I think, I think apart from my sister, everybody just keeps it on the DL yeah. down low. So, but that's why, I, that's why I'm pretty vocal about yeah. it. And I even documented, I took a photo of myself with Charlie when he was six weeks old. And, um, yeah, and another photographer actually offered to take my newborn photos for me because I tried to do it post C section and yeah, how it was, it was hard. And, um, yeah, so I think. Being open and, uh, yeah, just allows everyone else to be open and honest sure, about it. Sure, sure. Mm. 
And I think the other thing to make mention is that the federal government itself has realised how significant this whole thing about mental health is. Unfortunately, we've got networks like Panda and stuff which, yeah, which yep. help out. And so, like, if anyone is experiencing any issues with depression, perinatal depression and anxiety as well, and that includes yeah. dads, mind you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a few dads yeah. who have suffered it. Yeah, that they should contact the relevant. Now, you Panda, yeah. you easily I think there's even the hospitals. I think Mitcham have a... Yeah, mother-baby. Yeah. A lot of my, I've got a couple of patients that have gone there. And I think the thing about it is that it's normal and that you should seek advice yeah. and help. Um, but the government, as I said, has already acknowledged that. So in private practice, we're sort of mandated by government to actually do a mental health assessment at 28 weeks when a woman's pregnant. Yeah. And we also yeah. have to do it at the six-week check. But, of course, you know, some things can happen before the six-week check, yeah? yeah. So, yeah, contacting your obstetrician if you're going privately or your GP or the child maternal nurse is going to be particularly important if you're feeling that level of anxiety yeah. and or stress and to know that it's normal. Yeah, and it comes in all different forms because I know other women that didn't want to leave the house. They're, yeah. they're, they're anxious about what could happen to their baby, whereas, yeah, mum was just lack of connection and, yeah. And one of the things about the mother baby unit, and, you know, if I ever find a situation where I've got a woman who is, and I've, and I've had a few in recent months actually, where there's been a total disconnection between the pregnancy, they just don't feel pregnant, yeah. they don't want to be pregnant. Yep. The, some of them have just thought, well, I'm just doing this for him. Um, or their partner, rather, um, and I, you know, I don't, this baby is nothing to me, yeah. right? And they don't verbalise that, but you can, you can see tell, that that's yeah. in their body language and their communication. Yeah. That I often refer them to a psychologist and/or a psychiatrist, and sometimes preemptively having that mother-baby unit in place, ready yeah. to go, is going to be of great benefit. Yeah. I, mean, I had one woman who, or just even recognising it and just. They could have a complete switch exactly. and decline once the baby arrives. Exactly. I have got one patient who just came for a six-week check only about three weeks ago. She came, I think, pretty much wanting to terminate the pregnancy. And her husband was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if we should do it. And so we talked about all the issues. And it was obvious to me that she, it, what, this was not about not wanting a baby. Yeah. It, was just, it just didn't fit into what she had conceived to be her life. Yeah. And, you know, she was anxious and she was a bit depressed and all that sort of stuff. And she actually, I said to her, look, don't make a decision now. Yeah. Let's go and see someone. So yeah. we got some counselling. And, look, she went through counselling and she actually went and she ended up going to Mitcham. Uh, she ended up going into the mother-baby unit there and they saw me for their six-week check and she said, thank you, you know, this little yeah. one wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you recognising that yeah. early on in pregnancy. So I think don't. Be, I think one of the things is, like you said, everyone wants to keep it on the down yeah, low. Yeah, too hard on themselves. Correct. Mm. And I think we live in an age of where everything's, you know, on the Instagram, perfect. everything looks perfect, yeah? But not enough people take photos with zits on their faces yeah. and even if they do, it's basically taking the P-O-S-S, yeah. right? They're not really doing it because they want to. But the reality of the situation is everyone goes through ups and downs. Yeah. Or in, on, upon reflection then, I mean, obviously there was a fair amount of time between having Charlie and George. Yeah, and I, I did, I purposely did that. And up. what was the yeah. reason, do you think? I didn't want two under two. That's not my vibe, yeah. even though I love kids and I photograph kids. And yeah, but you I give be, them back, If I wasn't a you? photographer, I'd be a midwife. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I wanted Charlie to be toilet trained, talking, self-sufficient, semi, um, yeah. know what was going on. Yeah, I, and and I was enjoying my work, so right. there wasn't that restriction. Work for me wasn't a restriction. Like wasn't a restriction. I, I wanted to work. I wanted to flourish you, my business. Were you signa yeah. significantly traumatised by the birth that you didn't want to have another baby? It was more related. No, no, to I knew I goals. wanted a baby, but the first six months, I don't think I could talk about with the birth without tearing up and getting right. emotional. So I wanted the time to heal and um, get my mind right and get my body right and do everything I can could do to achieve the VBAC, so. Right, yeah. okay. At, at that point in time, had you had any discussion about the VBAC, apart from the doctor coming into the room to say to you, Oh, yeah, I, I told everyone I was going to have a VBAC. Right. So, but, but apart from the doctor yeah. having yeah. a chat, did you, had someone explained to you what a VBAC was? I think I, I think I already knew what a VBAC was because I, I have shot a few births before. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, cool. Do love babies, love, yeah, love births, love everything. So, <laughs> so at some point in time you've thought, oh, we're going for number two. 
Yeah, yeah. I think I was planning a winter baby so I could not have to rush back to shoot weddings. So I was tracking my ovulation for ages. Um, It's interesting. A lot of I didn't realize people ought to do this, but I had one woman who's coming to do cycle tracking or ovulation induction fertility. And she was like, I don't, are we going to miss this month? And I said, okay, why? She said, oh, because if we have a baby, if we get pregnant this month, we have a baby in Christmas. Okay, that's forward planning. Well, I, I, I forwarded plans that it was more fall pregnant at a certain time, allow if I had another miscarriage, that if I did fall pregnant again, yeah. it would still be a winter baby. Yeah. I just happened to fall pregnant first go and no issues that it happened at the start of winter. So right. I even, yeah, pre-planned to have, or what if I had another miscarriage? So, yeah, yeah. yeah I think people think that's, that's a bit funny, but I work for myself, so of course you have to. <laughs> I wanted to enjoy a semi-maternity leave sure, this sure. time around. Hey guys, Nikki here, co-founder at Tiny Hearts Education. At Tiny Hearts, our mission is to bring education to all Australian parents through first aid and birthing courses so you can move through pregnancy, childbirth and parenthood with confidence. To come along to one of our courses, head to tinyheartseducation.com and use the code PODCAST10 to get $10 off any course booking. That's all from me. Let's get back to Joe and today's story. So you get pregnant with George. Yep. Uh, you find out 10 weeks this time that it's a boy. Yeah, yeah. Just I think we had the spare cash. <laughs> I yeah. couldn't wait. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, I think there's some value in doing the test as well. I mean, I say to couples there's only two reasons for doing the Down syndrome screening test. Number one, it's because you'd act on the result and terminate a pregnancy yep. if you were so inclined in terms of Down syndrome, that is. Or the other thing, and I think it's important to realise that some people will, ch- will continue to have pregnancies with Down syndrome, which yep. is absolutely fine. So better prepare you for a child with special needs. Yep. And there's many, I've got many couples who have, who, you know, even a, a midwifery colleague of mine who actually declined screening for Downs because yep. she said, you know what, I've got a sister with Downs, so yep. I'll, there's no way I'd terminate a pregnancy. And I think that's a fair and legitimate reason. Yep. I think everyone feels, in a way, sometimes pressured because the GP or the doctor or the midwife says, yep. You should do this, but actually, yeah. you don't have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you wanted to to find out the sex of the baby. Pretty, that was pretty much obviously to and see this healthy and, baby, and, and also you knew you, you could keep the clothes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've got two nephews as well, so it just goes back and back and forth. They're all in between each other. Yeah, cool. um, yeah. So. Really easy pregnancy. Really easy pregnancy. What was your plans for these? Obviously, straight off the bat, you're wanting to have a vaginal birth. Yeah, so I logged on to Eastern Health and um, knew I wanted to be in the midwife program, knew I wanted to go to Box Hill, even though I'd had the traumatic birth there. They were still a brilliant hospital. Um, They only accept a certain amount of second-time mums and especially because I was a VBAC too, I wasn't sure that I'd get in, but I got in. Yeah. Um, really small group of midwives yeah. um, and they're all brilliant. Yeah. And I had Christina um, as my main midwife I, and I saw her every time and it, it just felt nice and I'm sure that's why people go private because they get to... Continuity. Yeah, continuity and a, and a sense of just care and... Yeah. Yeah, so it was really nice and I... Was she there for the birth? No, she, she yeah. wasn't, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, but... Um, it is the difficult... I mean, one of the things I think yeah. about those private midwife programs as a, the midwife programs of the hospitals are... It, it's very hard for them to be. Yeah, on there's, I think I think I feel like there's only six or eight of them. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I did have another brilliant midwife. I'm pretty sure it was Tanya. Um, that totally just con- took control of the situation yeah. once I did go into labour. But so how many weeks? So, well, first of all, let's talk a little bit about, about the lead up. So, do yeah. we have any concerns with blood pressure? The pregnancy? No, it was, with I was George? healthy. Actually. Sh- Continue to shoot a heavy wedding season. I actually yep. fell off the back of a quad bike at 34 weeks. Oh, God. Don't on your back, though. <laughs> on my butt, on my coccyx. Oh, yeah, God, which was a bit a bit worrying. But, but I was already regularly seeing an acupuncturist and a chiro from 30 yeah. weeks every yeah. second week. Yeah. Um, so I was already looking after my body um, after the fall. Um, I would started doing float sessions and I and I started doing this um, chiro and acupuncture weekly instead of fortnightly. Yeah. Um, yeah, really looked after myself for three weeks and my coccyx came good. So awesome. I saw an OB in one of those appointments anyway, Dr. Neil, he's retired now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I judged him when I walked in. Yeah. And, and, but he was, both, both the times I saw him, he was very positive about yeah, the yeah, back yeah. and he said, oh, you had a code green. No wonder you had postnatal. Like he was very, he, yeah, was, he, was, he was brilliant. He gave me lots of time to go over my due date. Very supportive. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the coccyx came good, thank God. And yeah. I think I shot a newborn five days before I gave birth. So I 
So what, what, what sort of, I mean, I think it's important we talk about the discussion you had with Dr. Yeah. Neil. Yeah. What type of, what did he talk to you about in terms, of, I think it's important, I think VBAC's great. Yeah. Um, and I think there's certain criteria where it's great in, in the context of where you got to nine centimetres and the decision to have a Caesar was not based on you not being able to have a baby vaginally yeah. but more because of Bubba was distressed. Yeah. So that's clearly a decision yeah. for a VBAC. Other ones may be a breach presentation. We've had a yeah. breach Caesar. And then after that, you want to have a vaginal birth. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Where it becomes difficult is where you've had, you get to five centimetres, for example, and yeah. you stay at five centimetres and four hours later, you're five centimetres. Or your blood pressure. Well, pre- no, pre- no, blood pressure is yeah. a reason. Yeah. Blood pressure may be a reason to, you need to have, pre- you need to have. Induced, a ba- yeah. yeah. Well, you need to be induced, which you really can't technically be with a VBAC, can't yeah. be induced. Box Hill's um, policy is to not do that and avoid that as, as possible. So had, had you been I didn't t- want to be induced anyway, so I was Correct. like, okay. <laughs> had you been told about the chances of things occurring in a VBAC? Had they, to- had they talked to you or walked yeah, you they, through they, that? Yeah. So what sort of things did they tell you? I think just the, the tearing of the scar and yeah. they wanted me to be monitored and I couldn't go in the water. Yeah. Um, and I was happy. I was happy to do anything they wanted. Yeah. To, to achieve the VBAC, I think. They wanted to put a cannula in. I, I have a, I got a doula who's my girlfriend. She's yeah. a doula and a photographer, so she's two in one deal. Yeah. And we did a birth plan and I didn't do a birth plan with with Charlie and, and I always thought they were a bit hoo-ha, but we just did a dot point. We did it really simple. Yeah. I didn't go crazy on it. It was just things we wanted to do. So, yeah, I did want a cannula. They, they struggled to get blood out of me anyway. I didn't want that just... In my vision, I th- if they needed to do it, they could do it in an emergency. Um, yeah. There were certain decisions that I said, yep. Yeah. Um, and even my, my midwife, um, I think there was an injection or a screening for something, and, and she said, I'm not allowed to tell you this, but so and so, so. So, like, they were very. So, as an example, you've. <sighs> what do you mean? I can't, rem- I can't remember. For the baby or for the. Uh, was it for the infection afterwards, or what's the one? They do a test for the antibiotics. GBS. Yeah, yeah. She said, yeah, she she couldn't tell me not to do it, but she said lots of (laughs) hospitals in the UK don't do it. Yeah, I think think it's important that we we do have two different, even in in Victoria, we have two very different camps. Um, The camp sort of south of the river. Yeah. So we're talking about Monash Hospital, Cabrini. Yeah, they're different. Um, And then we have sort of the north of the river. Uh, not that we like Melbourne to be yeah. a north and the south like they do in Sydney, but nonetheless, there is a north and the south of the river. Whereas a north of the river, which is doctors who have trained at the Women's or Mercy yeah. and work at hospitals such as Freemasons or St. P's, we tend to do GBS screening. Yeah. The evidence for GBS screening is very interesting because I, I think the difficulty about not doing it is if something were to happen. I always, whenever I talk about things with patients, I say, we don't have to do it, but if yeah. something were to happen and you didn't do it and it was a simple measure, how would you feel? Yeah. That's what I always reflect on. So GBS, we know the carriage rate of GBS is approximately 25% in all women. So GBS is a normal bacteria, group yeah. B strep, that occurs in the vagina of a, in a woman, but it's actually from the bowel. So it actually makes its way into the vagina because the bowel and the vagina are very close. In the UK, they don't screen. In part, they don't screen because it's an NHS system which can't afford the additional expense of screening. That's, I reckon yeah. that's a, one of the major reasons. But the other reason is in part because they see that if they, if they don't screen, then they may potentially not necessarily need to give as much penicillin to women during yeah. labour. In actual fact, if you are very strict about the criteria in terms of penicillin, injections during labour. If a woman's got prolonged rupture of membranes, which means her waters have broken more than 18 hours, by right she needs a dose of penicillin. So for the vast majority of women who break their waters and then wait to go into labour, they'll actually have already passed that 18-hour mark. So they'll actually need penicillin. One of the concerns about giving penicillin is, of course, that some people can get an immediate reaction to it, like a full-on anaphylaxis where they can't breathe. So we're very cautious about it. That's why we do penicillin in hospital in case yeah. we need to. So if we if we screen for for the bug beforehand, and you're the seventy five percent of women that don't have it, well, you yeah. don't need a drip, and you don't need penicillin, penicillin yeah. right? If you're in the twenty five percent that do have, then there is a three in one thousand chance of having a group B strep 
infect the baby. Yeah. And of course, if that happens, Bubba can become listless, need antibiotics themselves. So we don't want that to occur. No. We, we don't want to separate mum from Bubba. So rather than that three in 1,000 chance, we give antibiotics during labour to reduce that risk from one, so from three in 1,000 to one in 3,000. So it's actually a substantial decrease. And that's part of the reason for the screening protocol. Now, whether one protocol is better than the other, whether not screening and then giving antibiotics based on a set of risk factors, which include high temperature, prolonged rupture of membranes, if you've had GBS positive um, uh, in the urine or a GBS positive baby in the past, or you don't screen, uh, so you screen and you give antibiotics, whether you can't, whether whether one is necessarily better than the other is yeah. difficult to debate. But I think most hospitals have a protocol and and my advice, generally speaking, is to follow that protocol. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're, if I think you, that was the only thing I pushed back, not pushed back on, but just I didn't even know I was an option to say no because I think I just said oh, yes you to can everything. Say, you can say I no. think I said yes to everything. With, you can say no to everything. So I think, I, yeah, I, yeah, it didn't affect me, but it was more, more just I didn't want the cannula in my hand. And yeah. um, What about, I mean, I know that it was in your hand. Have they talked about putting it up? Higher, like putting it up here with a crepe bandage around. I it. just, if I was in labour, I would have just hated. Hated anything. I think, I think for me, it was a, a mental thing. I, I wanted to have positive thoughts yeah. that I was going to have a V back. I didn't want this thing in my arm, thinking if if you have a if you have an emergency again, yeah, it's great. You've already got the thing in your arm. Yeah. I didn't want. You didn't want anything to. I didn't want oh, yeah. anything to. Yeah, yeah. Be in my visual. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. So you wanted everything yeah. into in in place. I knew that they could do it down the track. Yeah. Um. All right. Yeah. So everything went well, presumably, because we're here. <laughs> yeah. So um, Dr. Neil gave me 10 days to go over my due date. Yeah. I was due, I think, the, I can't even remember my due date, the 23rd or 24th of April. Um, and I knew mentally that I would go over. And yeah. I told, I tell that to my clients, um, be prepared to go over your due date. Yeah. Um, don't, don't stress about it. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, so I was mentally fine. I was just keeping busy working, editing. Um, yeah, yeah, did a newborn five days before I gave birth. And then um, leading up, I started to lose my mucus plug. I was just so excited. I was taking photos. I was yeah. sending it to anyone who wanted to look. <laughs> I think because for me, being induced the first time, uh, I feel like half my body failed me. So this time around, my body was doing something natural and yeah. progressing. Um, so every... Yeah, I think that was maybe three or four days out. I was losing my mucus plug, and then three nights before the labour, every night I would be getting stronger niggles or contractions or practice and hicks. Mm. Um, uh, they weren't that bad. I think the Saturday night um, I needed a heat pack and I needed some Panadol, and then Sunday um, I had a bath and they're a bit irregular. Um, I think I thought something was happening but just mm. kept doing my usual stuff. We decided to drop Charlie to the grandparents at about 5 o'clock and do a walk, walk with the dogs. Yeah. And I was having to stop and breathe through them. So I thought, okay, well, this is this is probably happening. Um, my doula, wanted, she lives in King Lake, so maybe half an hour from Lilydale, and she said she wanted to come down. I said, no, don't come down. Like, I'm not sure. Yeah. I didn't know what labour felt like. Of course. Um, I think. At 9pm, she's like, oh, I'm going to come down and even if I have to stay in Charlie's bed, I'll just do that. So she came down. Um, we, I think we watched Ace Ventura on Netflix. Yeah. I was on the football just labouring. Um, that finished, I think I went. we went for a walk up and down the driveway a couple of times and then we just put on some music and just, at that stage, I think I had the TENS machine on my back Um and just Madonna's like, you should probably call the midwife and let them know. Yeah. So my midwife wasn't on um, and that was fine. They just said, just see how see how you go. Um, and then I think I think Donna got to a stage where she could see my, my noises had changed and my breathing had changed and she said, look, let's pack up the stuff and put it in the car and go soon. And we did that. We started to move and then my contractions, of course, slowed down. Mm. <laughs> and I think... I was worried about getting to the hospital too early um, and just being checked for dilation, which I did say in the plan I didn't really want it to be checked. Um, so then we just we laid on the ground. My dog came up, had a cuddle, and then the contractions picked up again. Um, so we jumped in the car and 
um, I think I had three contractions in the car from Lilydale to Box Hill. Um, and then we got into the underground car park. I get another contraction in the hallway, another contraction in the lift, another contraction so in the hallway. Another. It was like the movies, and I was like, I was laughing. I just thought it was the best thing ever. Yeah. I was just like, this is happening. I'm yeah. doing it. Um, and I met my midwife. She just arrived just after us. Um, hadn't met her before, um, but she had a beautiful demeanor and the midwife program. I guess they don't have to wear a uniform; they just wear whatever they're comfortable in. Yeah. She walked into the birthing suite. She turned off all the lights. Um, she, I think she just put the um, monitor on, but she didn't check me and she just let me just do my own thing. So I was walking around for a bit. Um, I think she saw I started to get a bit sick and a bit over it. So she sent Chris and I to the bathroom yeah. and Chris sat on the toilet and I sat on the football and I just leant on Chris. Um, I think I was sick a little bit. Um, but it was just we were in complete darkness and we both almost fell asleep. Yeah. So we came back out um, and I was on the floor again. This is where I felt comfortable. And I did a calm birth class and, and I think a lot of people think, oh, they just give birth on a bed. But the calm birth class give you, gave you different positions and different movements to keep your body going. So, yeah, I just felt comfortable on the floor um, leaning on the ball or leaning on the bed and, had my music going, but my wrists were starting to get sore because I was pressing, <laughs> pressing hard yeah. on them. Um, and actually, I forgot one of the main jobs Chris did was my doula, unfortunately, poor Chris. Every contraction, he held my hips together, these big manly strong hands yeah. to release the pressure. Poor Chris um, had to do that for about six hours. Yeah. <laughs> every, and, and I could feel one coming and I'd press and like yeah. I'm run, running and push my hips together and yeah. I'd had the TENS machine, I'd be buzzing it really hard. So he's got no support person, Chris. This time, no, no. Donna's my support yeah, person. Yeah, poor Chris. He didn't. He didn't actually. He yeah. didn't actually want. He yeah. would have preferred me to have a C-section, and he probably would have preferred not to have Donna or yeah. a photographer person there. But um, I was very knew what I wanted this time. Yes, and I was paying for it because I'm my own boss. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so yeah, they got me onto the bed because they could see I was tiring. Um, I think I was sick a few times, but I think that's when I said. Oh no, I can't. I can't do this. And of course, that's when you're close. Yeah. Um. I was, yeah. I was. I was exhausted. Um. But then I just had the urge to get back onto the floor. Yeah. So, yeah. I just after them getting me onto the bed, I slowly slipped down back onto the floor. So had they had they seen how dilated you were? At no, this they point? hadn't checked me at all. Right, how many hours are we into this now? Maybe. Five. Okay. Yeah, five, five and a half. Um, I had the monitor the whole on all the whole time. I, I just want the reason. Ready. The reason why I asked you that is yeah. because it it is a little bit unusual that practice. I'm not yeah. saying it's not right. Yeah. And it's something I think it's because it was in my birth plan. I just said, yeah. for mentally, I didn't want to know what was going on. What was going on? I would be I would have been shattered to know I was yeah. only three or four. I, I think. And, and it's difficult because, of course, that was the mindset you'd had. But part of I, w- I was open to it. So yeah. if she said, "Look, I need to check you," yeah, you would. I, I was half half, and I yeah. said that in the plan. I would I just, prefer I just, not to if you, you don't need to, but if for medically reasons we you, need to, then I would have been fine yeah. too. I probably would have just said, "Keep it to yourself." Yeah, yeah. But if she, but she never. I think she felt comfortable, and she saw how so I was going. progressing and the noises I was making. Yeah. And, yeah, so I, I think it's important for other women who are having VBACs yeah. because I think some women will have VBACs in other hospitals where mm-hmm. there are, yeah. certainly in the hospital I work at, the women's and also here at Freemasons, we tend to have a bit of a stricter protocol. Even just the midwife program to the normal program. Yeah. I think in the normal program, VBAC she would have just, better. she would have checked me. Yeah. And I think it's important to realise why some women who will have VBACs and be yeah. happy about having VBACs and, and doctors will be happy and the midwives yeah. will be happy to have VBACs, but... One of the reasons why we encourage checking regularly yeah. is to see that the cervix is dilating. There is a reason for that is because obviously there is a weakness in the scar from the previous yeah. cesarean section and we're wanting to make sure that that labour is progressing well yeah. so that we're not fatiguing that scar. Because, yeah. you know, no one wants to get in a situation where it's an, another emergency yeah. Caesar. We don't want, oh, my God, yeah. let's go now, quickly, no, she, hurry. she was... She was making sure the monitor was in a good spot regularly. I actually told her to fuck off a few times yeah. because she was touching my stomach and holding it on while I was contracting. Yeah. And I'd apologise afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm not sure 
yeah, the hospitals. But I'm just, yeah. I'm just I, what I don't, yeah. want, what I don't want is no. I don't want other people no, to no. listen to this and go, yeah. I shouldn't get it. I don't want an examination. No, no, and it was just, and, and yeah, because I, I think what you chose was an experience that was unique for you. Yeah, and, and it doesn't grow across the board. Correct, no. exactly. Yeah. But yeah. so, and, and everyone's got a right. To, I just don't want someone who's can listen to go. Oh, well, that's interesting. I had a V back, and they decided they wanted to check me yeah. in a couple of hours. And I know, like, she could have checked me, and I could have just said. Yeah. Tell Chris or yeah. tell Tells Donna. Don't tell. Don't yeah. tell me. Grand. Um, and I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have cared. It was just that she just didn't check yeah. me. Um, yeah. And then, so I think I yeah, got back onto the ground. I was in like a frog position, so my knees were out really far. And they were like, "Get your knees together because baby's going to come and it's just going to yeah, yeah, yeah. hit the floor." Um, and I could. I could feel. I could feel him descending. So this, when this is five. This is five hours. Yeah, I think all of my labour was six hours, 12 minutes or something. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I could feel him descending, um, which was incredible. Um, in my head, I think I asked for drugs a couple of times, but I never vocalised it. And it, after every surge would go, I would be okay. Yeah. So at that point, I'd still, no drugs, just had the TENS machine buzzing the whole time. Um, and, yeah, I think, I think... The, the thing, the monitor had come off and I just remember my butt was facing the door. So yeah. the other midwives and the doctors may have come in and I just remember my midwife being in control and being like, she's very close. Did you want to, like, she just kind of showed her dominance. Did you want to come in and take over? Yeah, like, yeah. she's fine. Like, yeah. um, so they backed off a bit and, yeah, I gave, I think, um, Tanya was like to Chris, did you want to catch him? So I think. Tanya got him and then Chris, like, was past the baby. Wow. Yeah, and it's funny because, like, a couple of days before, Chris was just ready just to hold my hand and yeah, not look and yeah, I think yeah. being put on the spot. Um, yeah, he was a great support person and that would just didn't – it surprised me but it didn't. I think he was traumatised by the first birth so he of course. wasn't so inclined for me to do this path but um, – But he, he was, choose in, that again next time, yeah. In the moment, he was yeah. brilliant. He was – who actually I thought Donna would have been my support person, but I lent on Chris and I needed Chris and I was very affectionate towards him, um, which you never know what you're going to be like in birth. Some people want to be touched. Some people don't want to be touched. Um, yeah, and he was what brilliant. Was the, what was the difference in, I mean, obviously Chris's role between the two births? Because um, it's difficult for blokes. Yeah, I think uh, Chris is, I think there's some photos my to- sister took in the first birth um, while I was labouring that, you know, Chris is, like, eating my lunch or I'm telling him don't eat my lunch. Or I, he, he's, he was dis- like, he's, disengaged. He's a, he's a joker. He's not well, yeah. disengaged. He just, yeah, just it was just a whole just diff- different, it was a, so different worlds apart, the yeah. births. Um, but, yeah, I think the next day when we were driving home, he just said he just had such an admiration for, like, midwives and he now he understands what a doula does yeah, and yeah. and why don't more women have v-backs and yeah. it was just yeah it was a positive experience for both of us um yeah so we caught george um i think i i had no energy so they tried to pass him through my legs to my chest and i just <laughs> couldn't even pick him up i was yeah. zonked um they got me back onto bed i think i had second degree tear so um they did chuck, check my butthole twice, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, they had course. one doctor and then she got the head doctor and the doc- head doctor was like, no, you're fine. I was like, thank, thank you, I love you. Uh, <laughs> I think I said I love you. And then, yeah, I got stitches, um, which was probably worse than the birth itself because yeah. I had no drugs at that no, point. Local. So just the local and the yeah. gas. Yep. So that was horrendous. Um, and I don't think I ever thought about my vagina. I just always thought about the birth. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um but yeah, I was just on a high. I was just instant connection, instant love. I was couldn't believe I'd done it without drugs, and I'd done it vaginally. Yeah. So yeah, it was brilliant. Um, they did say, "Do you want to go home today?" I was like, "No." It was about six thirty a.m. when I gave birth, and I was yeah. like, "I've got a toddler at home. Like, can I have one night, one please?" One night stay exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I could hear my midwife on the phone to the maternity ward being like, "Do you have a room by itself?" Yeah. <laughs> she was trying to look after me, which was beautiful. So I got a double bed and there was a single bed next to me, but no one ever came into oh, it. Oh, nice. So, yeah, a lot different. I've got to say that, that all the, I mean, obviously having a cesarean section for whatever reasons, whether it be an emergency Caesar like last, like you had in the first time, 
or alternatively having a, an elective for a breach, whatever the case might be. All the women that do choose to have a vaginal birth after a Caesar and who are successful, because unfortunately yeah. some women won't yeah. be, all of them will always say that it was a wonderful experience. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think because it is such a striking contrast to the cesarean section, um, equally so there'll be some women who've had a vaginal birth in the past and have yeah. had a traumatised experience yeah. vaginally yeah. who will then choose to have a Caesar like the next Caesar. time and go, yeah. oh my God, that was the best yeah. thing ever. Yeah, and I've not. shot a C-section, yeah. which was really, I've shot two now at Dandenong Hospital yeah. and it, they were quite healing for me Yeah, because they were, they were planned and, and calm and, calm and it, they, were, they were beautiful yeah. um, just in a different, different way. Light. So... So, so what sort of the, I mean, obviously you were, it looks as though you were exceptionally supported, num, n- number yeah. one, by the system. By the system, yeah. Um, yeah. By the doctor that you saw, Dr. Neil. Yeah. And also by your uh, midwife, Tanya, during the labour. What sort of strikes you as, as you know, the, 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 and you said it about your achievement, how you felt that you'd achieved all this, but yeah. what, what sort of overwhelming, what's the sort of overwhelming experience that you had that you sort of can relate to in terms of that whole process I think mindset I think um I think I had like little doubts um but I would push them away and and the whole pregnancy I was just positive that I was gonna attempt and achieve a VBAC so I think yeah and looking after myself um you know physically and and yeah just prepping myself in any way I could. Yeah. Um, I think it all it all helped. It all helped. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, obviously having postpartum depression in the first oh, I didn't. I didn't cry once. <laughs> okay. Didn't, even so, when my milk came in, I, I yeah. didn't cry. I was just in my love bubble. Yeah. I felt like a normal mum. <laughs> yeah, grand. That's <laughs> yeah. good. And, I'm um, still on a high too. Had you had any sort of preparation in terms of your own mental health before? Yeah, I, I think I thought if it's going to happen again, I know what to do. Right. Get a mental health plan, see yeah. a psychologist. But you hadn't seen anyone preemptively before that, before no, George was but born. everybody knew. I think I was open with my midwife, so yeah. they, all, they all knew it could be a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. So next time around, we're definitely going to have another V-back. Yeah, yeah, V-back number two. Chris, don't listen to this bit. (laughs) (laughs) Couple of, three three or four years, I don't mind. You've got a bit of time ahead of you, haven't you? (laughs) Hey, thanks so much for sharing your experience. It's absolutely awesome. And and look, I think you're right. I think, and Chris is probably 100% correct, I think, you do need a supportive group of people around you when when you're embarking on a V-back and you need people to be on the right page. Uh, And... And part of that's also understanding what potential. I, I hate always saying what things can go wrong because things, you know, unfortunately in life things go wrong. But what's the plan if something were to happen? And I think if you've got an idea, you had a bit of a birth plan in your own mind and, and if you have a person with you that sort of goes through that birth plan and understands what you want and your desires and needs and yeah. then obviously you maintain good physicality, I think that's yeah. important and also in addition to that also emotionally and yeah. mentally because I think that also stands you in good stead that, you know, you can achieve greatness, which obviously you did, yeah. which is awesome. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for listening That's to this episode right. and for being here. Yeah. That was awesome. That's okay. Um, and I've I hope got brilliant photos if you guys want to see oh, them as well. <laughs> we're going to put them on in conjunction with the podcast. And I hope everyone found that really interesting. And I think, you know, it's probably nice for women to hear the, the difference between uh, the two birth experiences. Yeah. And, you know. And if, not everyone is inclined to want to achieve a VBAC and that's fine. And, yeah. And. Yeah, it was just for me, it was something that I wanted to give a go. So, yeah, I've shot a C-section. I've got lots of friends who've had C-sections yeah. and repeat C-sections and that's and that's their choice. And it's all, I guess, yeah, discussion for you and your doctor, I guess. I, I think it is. I, and I think, I think you know, you, you're right in saying that, you know, cesarean section sometimes can be seen as the easy way out and offers. Oh, no, they're both not, really hard. Not, <laughs> they're, both, they're both hard on your body. It's not. But, you know, equally so, you know, having a vaginal birth after a Caesar and, you know, certainly the fact that you've achieved that now is is an awesome testament to, as I said, your physicality and mentality in terms of that whole process. So you'd be to be congratulated. Thank you.
Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode and found it uh, very interesting as well. You can listen to all new episodes of the Bump, Birth and Pod, uh, Body Beyond podcast uh, once a fortnight on our Thursday on Thursday, rather. Uh, make sure you keep up to date with myself uh, via my handle at Dr. Joseph Scroin. Of course, you can also um, keep up to date with all things in relation to Tiny Hearts in, uh, Education on either their Instagram or their Facebook page. And of course, if you haven't already, download their app. Um, thank you so much for listening and uh, all right, feel free to post comments and ask any questions and we we'll look forward to uh, catching up with you in a week's time. <laughs>